0: Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. I'm just about awake, as so are you, Simon, because I've been working on the Australia-India series overnight. You've been watching it, actually, and you've been doing some Women's Big Bash. So we both come off sort of late nights into the middle of the night in somewhere in darkest Stratford (laughs) for BT, actually covering some very interesting cricket, though. It was a a hell of a a match, the Australia-India Test match. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about innovations in cricket. You've uh, had some interesting ideas. We've got some of our own. There have been some good news stories, actually, this week about innovations in cricket, including turning up the stump mics on this particular Test match. So we're going to talk about that. But how are you feeling actually? Because we've both had these sort of late nights, and it's a slightly sort of slightly parallel universe we're living in at the moment.
1: Yeah, it's, it, it's I'm fine, feeling fine because I, unlike you, I didn't work on this test match. So what I was able to do was. Record the night's play and then get up and watch it in the morning, or just occasionally wake up in the middle of the night and listen to the radio commentary as well, because there's been radio commentary on Five Live Sports Extra. So you can either you've got a mix. You can either well, you can stay up and watch it, or you can you can wake up and listen to it, as a lot of people do with their cricket commentary through the night from Australia or wherever. Or you can take the the real sensible approach: wake up about seven o'clock in the morning and then watch the day's play through. Yeah. Without knowing, without knowing what course, the
0: score is. If, if you do that, uh, you can't tailor the radio commentary to your recording of the TV commentary, which means you can't block me out, <laughs> which I'm sure a lot of people have done. You know, there's that still with that tradition of watching the TV and listening to the radio, which I totally understand. It has been a great watch, actually. Uh, I mean, you sort of think to yourself when you take on a, a contract like this, working through the night on, on a match series between Australia and India, are you going to be able to say, wait, the cricket has been so no. good it actually has been quite easy. But it's a weird experience, isn't it? We're sort of sitting in booths, uh, watching the game on three monitors and coming in every so often with an observation or a link to a break or whatever. There's a gallery down the corridor. It's a bit like I suppose it's almost a bit like being in a hospital, actually. And <laughs> the operating theatre is the is the place where all the can't gather- be
1: that bad. Where, you know where, I mean? all the,
0: where all the producers are sitting, <laughs> and there's a hundred monitors and all these sort of gadgets. And then we're in a little booth, which I suppose is a sort of consulting room.
1: Really. Nurse, nurse, get me out of here!
0: <laughs> Harry Redknapp winning the. Um get me out of here amazing sorry that was a bit of a non-secretary anyway great game great game yeah great Well, really interesting game anyway it was
1: a great game i'm not sure really interesting game and perversely exactly the same result as the first test match of the england india series at edgbaston 31 runs 31 runs aside batting first winning by 31 runs england on the end of that one on the good end of that one in edgbaston india this time batting first and winning by 31 runs i actually thought that I never thought Australia were going to win the game. No, I didn't. Well, well not from about sort of early-ish or midway through the second day. It felt as if the die had been cast. Three-twenty-odd was too many for Australia. and Actually, they did well to get as close as they did. But you know, I actually watched it on catch-up rather than watched it live. But and you didn't know the result. But I didn't know the result, no. Mm. And I've, I just felt that there was always going to be a ball... You know,
0: yeah, well, that's right, or a bowler.
1: Yeah, that there's just going to be a wicket yeah. somewhere along yeah. the line, and you know they've got down to their town. They really fought hard, and uh, Nathan Lyon had an an excellent game. He did. with, with God, ball and bat. bat- batting. Although, batting, God, that's yeah. incredible, actually. Although, interestingly, I thought that Ashwin had more influence on the game mm. than Nathan Lyon. Do you? I, I do? I you look at the figures. Mm. Ashwin took six for 149 from. 86.5 overs in, in
0: the match. In the match. So yeah. he went
1: for 1.7 runs per over. So yeah. he was able to give his captain more control of the game and therefore allow him to rotate the boulders at the other end perhaps mm. with more potency. Lyon eight for two hundred and five from seventy overs. He went for two point nine runs per over. So not quite the control mm. that Lyon had over England in the ashes last
0: winter. And, but more control than he had over the South Africans
1: in South Africa.
0: I mean, of course, there, there'll be a simple reason for that, and uh, maybe one simple reason is that Ashwin was bowling a lot of left-handers. Yeah. Four of the top six Australia are left-handed, whereas Lyon was bowling primarily at right-handers, and Pajara in particular w- was brilliant. I mean, you know, he was the match-winning contribution. Obviously, it's quite nice, really, that you've got this these two teams whose T20 cultures, the big bash and the IPL, are the huge money spinners and all that, and the new... Kind of generation of batsmen belting the ball all over the place, and actually the the successful guy here doesn't even play T twenty mm. cricket. Pujara, he actually plays Test cricket and fi- first class cricket. He has I've looked up. He hasn't played an IPL game for four years, so he's not one of these superly remunerated cricketers, glamorous smashes it for fours and sixes. He stays in for in this Test match four hundred and forty balls, many of which he left or blocked or kicked away, oh, yeah. but. That was, I I wonder, you know, I'd love to find out from him really if ultimately the stimulation, the satisfaction of achieving a a Test match victory over five days with the commitment and, and dedication that he showed is more... Satisfying and stimulating than a quick fifty in a big bash game that, or an IPL game, which you know gives you the the champagne and the, the the excitement overnight. But does it leave you with that deeper feeling in the end? I doubt it. No, it's,
1: it's got to be a testing, thing, surely, especially someone like him who's just he's, he's set up to play in
0: that way. But, but you see, he's only employed technically for about four months of the year yeah. because he doesn't get picked for these T Twenty leagues. So. He's, a, he's got to make quite significant sacrifices, not only on the field, but in his life as well. It's not all about smashing it everywhere, no, though, is but it? it? and it's not all about money, but you know it helps. Yeah. That's why we're doing these T20 <laughs> games in the middle of the night. Anyway. Well,
1: interestingly about Pujara, of course, he was caught behind on 89, wasn't he, in the first innings? And yes, no one really, no really appealed. appealed. No one really appealed. His final score in that innings was 123. Mm. So he went on to score... 32 more runs.
0: Wow. And what was the difference between the two sides? Actually, it was 34. In fact, your maths is rubbish. Uh, yeah, I 89 to 123 is 34. OK, on, roughly, okay he went on score 34 it. more runs, yeah, and the yeah.
1: difference between the two sides was... 31 runs. Yeah. Anyway, the thing is, India would have played it differently in their second innings,
0: because they threw a lot of wickets away, didn't they, gave a quick runs. Yeah, that was a bit mad, actually. I, I didn't quite get that. They lost their last five wickets in the second innings to 25. Mm. After all that dedication from Pujara and Rahani to get them to 270, 280 mm. for five, they just all went in a blaze of shots. I mean, Rishad Pant was absurd. He, he just basically tried to slog every ball he faced from Nathan Lyon. He got away with it for about ten balls, and then inevitably got out. Mm. So and, and there was a, an off-spinner getting an off, uh, a left-handed batsman out. So it, 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 was, it was a fascinating battle, which I totally agree with you. In the end, the difference between the sides was A, Pajara, and B, I think the Indian bowlers, that four-pronged attack is that bit more reliable and maybe even a bit more potent than the Australians for whom Mitchell Stark didn't quite fire. The other two seem to bowl pretty well and Lyon very good. But that four-pronged Indian attack with Jasprit Bumrah just conjures up magic balls, you know, lethal balls from nowhere. Mohammed Shami, unbelievably consistent. That sort of, you know, desire he's got in his face and that sort of pulsating run-up and consistency... Then you've got uh, Ishant Sharma, There's like a warrior, kind of fiery and charging into ball. And the bouncer he bowled Travis, Travis Head today to yeah. get him out was just brilliant. I mean, he virtually hurled himself at the batsman to make sure that a ball lifted into his in his rib cage. He had that sort of passion that Coley has. And Coley must also give them this incredible kind of emotion and, 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 t- and total commitment and passion. And I mean, I I, I wouldn't... I don't know how he keeps going, Coley. Actually, you know, he's going to be one of those people, a bit like Ollie Stone, celebrating a wicket and doing his knee in. You know, Coley's going to rick rick his back or something with one of those punch of the airs or, you know, tense, clenched punch of the sky or whatever, because he just puts so much in. I don't know how he keeps going. Well, it's interesting that you go
1: for India's bowlers over Australia's bowlers, because I would have thought the game was really settled by the batting sides, than the quality that they showed one way or the other. And India had that quality with Pujara, but Australia didn't quite have that. They didn't have someone to build yeah, yeah, they didn't. Although
0: uh, Sean Marsh played very well in the second innings, actually. Well, Head
1: played well in the first innings. Marsh yeah. played well in the second, but they yeah. were... They were. They oh, didn't get that big no, score. that big score that really makes a difference. Yeah. So I, I, my feeling is, is that you know the bowling attacks are quite Almost cancel each other yeah, out. they're quite similar. But it lo- looks, actually, if if India's... Batting lineup he's, he's, might just be good enough. We, we talked about this last week that we, we don't think it's particularly good in Australian mm. conditions, but it might just be good enough to go on well, and win the series yeah. because Australia, just a bit more
0: fallible. They were, yeah, they were probably uh, passive as well, weren't they? They were very passive, and in fact, Usman Kawaja went from one extreme to the yeah. other in the first innings, he blocked it. Endlessly, and just didn't play a shot. And suddenly, in the second innings, after in fact Justin Langer had done an interview in which he said, "I think we need to be a bit more proactive against Ashwin." And uh, Kawada went dancing up the wicket and had a huge wipe and was caught a deep point. So they went; they didn't get the measure, the balance quite right. Aaron Finch can't possibly open the batting in Test cricket, no way. I mean, he he played a massive, expansive drive in the first innings and virtually all three stumps were removed out of the ground in the third ball of the, of the innings. Second innings, he battled away, but he had one escape with a review and then he was actually given out when he wasn't out, but he doesn't convince me as an opening batsman and their their batting order generally is, is a bit flaky. Peter Hanscom, how the hell can you bat in a Test match like that? He stands about an inch from his... Stumps inside the crease with this funny sort of erratic movements, and I know Steve Smith has a funny method, and he's averaging sixty one in Test cricket. But Hanscom just there's too many jerky moves and funny positions, and standing right on his stumps, he can't get forward at all. You know, he's the kind of batsman that you, as a bowler, you sort of say, "Did you bring a front leg, mate?" When he plays, well, that's what you said ball to ball him as a bowler. Yeah, mm. dude, did you have you got a front leg, mm. and and you just bowl full to him, and he's going to get out. A couple of shocking dismissals. Yeah. one he was trying to run it down to third man and got
1: an edge through, and then a sort of nothing pulled to the wicket. So they've got it.
0: serious issues there with their batting order, and I reckon Stark might be. He didn't look, didn't look quite right either. He was worried about his foot and his ankle and stuff. So they've got, a, and they're one down the series now mm. as well. So. All the issues are with Australia. But it was a pretty close game in the end. Only 31
1: runs between the two sides... You said last week that you thought it was going to be two two, and actually my inclination was to say there's a good chance of it being a drawn series, but because you already said it was going to be two two, I went I went with Australia to win three one. I mean they're going to do have to do incredibly well to come back and win three one from yeah. here. But the, the, the balance between the two sides is is close enough mm. for there to be you know three more quite close yeah, test I matches, think and for Australia to to come out on top in those three test matches. It's, it's the it, that's
0: the nature of the, the truth, series. That's true, but. Uh, the other th- aspect to it, you've got four tests in a very short space of time. There's hardly a gap between mm-hmm. them. So the second test starts on Thursday night, Friday morning. Uh, I think India's depth is greater. You know, they've got Bhubaneshwar Kumar who could come in instead of one of the faster bowlers mm-hmm. if, say, Boomeras short of fitness or whatever. You know, they've got Prithvi Shaw who can open the batting. They've got Jadeja who can come in if Ashwin's mm-hmm. a bit tired. You know, so they've got several players that they can bring in. Whereas Australia, who have they got to bring in? You know, I, I, I'm not sure if they've got another bowler that can come in for start, for instance, mm. and who are they, who's going to open the batting?
1: See, that was significant for them last year, wasn't it, in the Ashes? They managed to keep those main bowlers on the field for, for most of the time. They did have to make a change for the Melbourne Test match. The other thing, of course, about the Adelaide Test match has just finished is India won. You mentioned Coley earlier, but they won without any runs from Coley. Only made 37 runs in the game. In fact, Nathan Lyon almost scored double the number of runs that Coley managed in the match. Just, you, know, you feel somewhere on the line he is going to get involved, and if he gets involved somewhere, you know, with the bat, then that is going to be huge problems for
0: Australia. As long as he's not totally exhausted <laughs> by his punching in the air and shouting and hurling himself around in the field. You know, he just needs to go into a dark room and have a lie down for three days, I think, probably. And then you come out and probably... He needs to put all his energies into batting and less into all the kind of demonstrativeness that he has in the field. Anyway, it was, it was great to watch. And one aspect... We, we, we'll move on to our, our second topic here about innovations. One aspect I really like. This is something I've been campaigning for for a while, in a way, was turning the stump mics up. Now, when Australia went to South Africa, they were absolutely outraged that the South Africans were going to turn the stump mics up. And the Australians who we can't do this, we can't do that. Uh, um, you know, There's all sorts of things we don't want to be heard, of course, uh, as you'd expect from the Australians. But the South Africans did it anyway. And so the Australians then cryptically started mentioning sponsors' mm. names and things like that to try and get the stump mics turned down. But I've always thought the great thing about the stump mics is it gets you, as the viewer, closer to the action. And it just gets you... A lot of the stuff that's is, is said on the field is completely inane. But I think the sounds of the boulder running in and the wicketkeeper sort of chantering in the batsman's ear and the, sort of the people around the bat and all that, even the slipcord and sort of further back, I just think it has a... Uh, uh, it gets you a little bit closer to the emotion of the game and the drama of the game. And I thought it was a great initiative that Fox Sports showed, and they're the people sending us the feed for BT Sports coverage. I thought it was just a great initiative to have an over where the commentator said nothing and they turned the stump mics up. I'm just going to play you a little bit of one of those overs. This is Ravi Ashwin bowling to Pat Cummins, and the voice you'll hear most of is the Indian wicket-keeper, Rishad Pant. It's not easy to play
1: here, man.
0: Yeah, it's lovely, Ash. The the six
1: ash. is here, come on. Oh, come on, come on, Ash. <sighs> come on, it's not Five, easy. I'm like this. It's not easy to yeah, survive, the come the on. Ice. Someone is not saying, come on, let's go. <laughs> it's got to be difficult, it's got to be difficult. Not putting away, not
0: putting away bad balls here. Come on, let's! So I think we'll stop it there because I just love that. Is that <laughs> is that the first instance in a Test match of a wicketkeeper sledging his own players?
1: <laughs> not not put, putting not, away a bad ball. Not Putting away the bad balls. Yeah. I mean, it was. A, it was. A, it wasn't that bad a ball from Ashton, it was It was fired through a bit. It was a bit short outside the off Fired through. Yeah. But it was, I mean, he's just about trying to create that doubt in the batsman's mind. Is it? I mean. <sighs> It's, it's, it's relentless, isn't it? I mean, mm. you've got to. It, it is can it be relentless. It can keep it going in, in that way. I mean, p- people will look at it in different ways. Some people say it's just mindless mm. nonsense going yeah. on the whole time. And actually, do it. You know, is it really needed? Is that is that really a way of, of getting batsmen out, or getting into their minds, or is it absolutely essential just to c- can build that pressure, support the bowler? I'm a bit ambivalent about it. I think it, I, mean, I don't. I think as a batsman, I think after a while, you'd want to. You know, I don't know put a bag on the
0: wicketkeeper's head, wouldn't Well, you you? won't actually wrap a bat around his head, really. But, I mean, in a way, that's the point. That's why they do it. I know. It gets you wound up. It it is part of the game now, and it happens at all levels. It happens in school cricket, they do it. You know, all the sort of silly lines they come out with, even in schools games, and obviously club as well. And I, I think... Obviously, it is irritating, but that's part of the reason. And the way to silence it mm. is to play well, and then they shut up. Because later on in the the, the, the match, when Pat Cummings actually started to play well, there wasn't nearly no. as much you know, banter from, from behind the wicket. I mean... he I just loved, come in there, hadn't he? Yeah, well, just yeah, just and come the, in. And actually, um Pant was saying to him, come on, I know you want to hit a six, Pat, but come on, let's have a six. You know, trying to, be, you know, bait him to go down the wicket. Yeah. And that reminded me, you know, that it's been going on forever because Shane Warne did that to Mark Ramprakash in the, in the 1990s Ashes series. England were battling away in a, a test match at Trent Bridge and actually Ramprakash was playing pretty well to try and see England to the close. And I remember Warne hearing the story afterwards that Warren said to Ramprakash, come on mate, come on Ramps, I know you want to go downtown mate, I know you want to get after me, I know you want to hit one over the top, go for it mate, go, go on, go on, I know you want to, and he did it a few times and eventually, Ramprakash did, went miles up the wicket, had a big hack, stumped by 10 yards, off he went and and England lost the test match by a mile, I think it was the test match actually, when uh, Australia sealed the Ashes 3-0 at Trent Bridge, you know, without batting an eyelid mm. and Warren was sort of careering and cavorting on the balcony at Trent Bridge after about nine days of the series they'd already won it but so it's it's been going on forever but I, I like the initiative actually I, I think it's as long as they don't overdo it I think, I think it's, it just adds an, an extra ingredient to the drama of the game.
1: Yeah, I, I was, yeah, hearing an over of that, hearing what goes on for an over without the commentators talking, I mean, some people might say that's actually quite a good thing not to hear the commentators talking for a bit as well. I, I don't mind it. But it, it, actually but what it does, it does illustrate the amount of nonsense that is spoken out there. But also, it does put you out in the middle. Of course, some batsmen have gone out d- deliberately to try to be chattered out, haven't they? I mean, Mike Addison I think, would say there were times when he wasn't feeling fully awake and fully alive, and he would almost provoke the opposition to have a word with him to to, to get chattered. Steve War's
0: another. Yeah, and I think,
1: I think Jarvin used to do it as well, didn't he? You might actually go out there and sort of provoke that sort of constant chatter just to just to keep yourself alive. I mean, you, actually, you keep yourself I, motivated. I,
0: I, I used to hate it, you know, and I know I wasn't. Not people obviously didn't bother to do it much to me because they knew I'd get out anyway, but. Occasionally, when I did play a bit of an innings, you know, and the the, the keeper and slips when you're playing a spinner, sort of rabbiting in your ear, and you do actually, it does make you want to wrap the bat around them mm-hmm. and that's why they do it. And it does work. It's quite effective. And I just think the way it's translated to the viewer, the TV audience, it's just it just shows another element to the game that it is quite a psychological game and it just shows that in a bit more light in a way. But... Obviously, I, I'm not advocating getting rid of the commentators completely, <laughs> but if you've got a character like Rishabh Pant, who's not short of confidence yeah. and was just virtually providing a commentary throughout each over, it's, it's quite interesting. He's a talented player, isn't he, Rishabh Pant? <laughs> I mean, if he could...
1: Ravi Shastri was talking about this afterwards. If he could just settle him down a bit, mm. just knock the odd one or two yeah. and, and just be more judicious, mm. and we saw at the over what a brilliant player he is, with that
0: 100 at the Oval in that last but test I match. I think but... he's um, he's quite smart as well, because you think of someone who's sort of swaggering into bat and trying to belt it everywhere, that he's, he's, a, he's a bit sort of kamikaze. But what I noticed also from the stump mics being turned up and the close-ups on him standing up to the stumps was he was just moving field a little bit this way and mm. that, and I think he knew which batsmen to provoke like, like, and, and wind up and which ones not to bother with. Uh, so he's quite aware of the game. He did a very good interview during the coverage one morning, which was very revealing and showed he's a, quite a thinker about the game. Your dog's barking. <laughs> Don't worry about <laughs> You need to go and sort out Pepper while we have a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about the, some of the innovations that have happened in the last couple of weeks and also look at your emails.
1: Right, welcome back. Now, we've been talking about innovations and they are going to get rid of the toss in the Big Bash. Well, not the toss per se, but they're going to get rid of the coin toss and they're actually going to have a, a bat twiddle instead. So it's going to be... The call is either going to be hills or flats. And I can see some, some traditionalists thinking, what on earth are they doing? What What is going to be next in the game? But actually, there's there, There's actually a point of logic in this, is that if you're a television viewer, or indeed watching on, uh, you might not be able to hear what the... Captain's cool, of course, if you're watching on from the from the outer, but if you're watching on television, you can actually see what the outcome of the toss is. Whereas it, when the coin goes up, obviously you can't you rely on the match referee to say it's a head or a tail. I mean there've been all sorts of tails in the past, haven't they? Of captains going out with sort of dodgy coins where it's not been obvious which is a head or a tail, you flick it up in the air and the captain says, Oh, tails, you come down, no, no, it's heads, we'll bat first. You know, so the point is is that if you have a sort of back twiddle mm. and it comes out on the flat side or the sort of triangle side, if you like, of the the back of the bat, then at least you can see, you know, you can actually see which side has has won the toss. Where where do you stand on this? Is this this nonsense or is it quite good innovation? I
0: think it's great. I I think I'm all for stuff like that. And I think it's particularly appropriate in Australia where I have seen coins tossed and the coin disappears down a crack in the pitch and you have to do it again. So, uh, and somebody's, you know, short of 20 cents as well. So uh, I like it. And it, it, it reminds me a little bit of, Tennis, you know, you do that with tennis, don't you? you? sort of spin your racket for who who gets to serve first. And, do and they mean, do that when more though yeah. Maybe, I don't know, perhaps yeah, in practice that... games. And, and the other thing is uh, golf. Now, uh, those of you at home who played a foursome or a four ball in particular with three people, mates or whatever, but you haven't really decided if you're going to play in pairs or not and you turn up to the tee, and you all have a ball, the balls are thrown up in the air and the two that land closest together play together as a partnership throughout the four ball. Uh, So that's a little good way of using the kit that you actually play with to decide on Outcomes, partnerships, or who's going to start, which is great. Now, what what, what well, do your Twitter followers well, say? Well,
1: I put, I put this out on Twitter this afternoon whether it's a good thing or a, or a bad thing. Richard Walker says, It'll be one hand, one banks before we know it. <laughs> uh, David Thomas makes the point. He says, Surely they can doctor the bat to make it more likely to fall on one side with, he says, sandpaper and a little sort of, you know, uh-huh. wink. But I mean, wink, wink. well, can you, can you have a bat that's like to fall more on, more on one side than the other? Well, those who have brought this in say, Actually, they tested this Bat, they've made a special bat
0: to make sure it doesn't make sure it's absolutely. But how many random. times have they tested it? You see, because <laughs> well, it could be that they've done a s- too small a sample. How many that, that's well, a never ending sample, well, is it? When the coin is that perfect 50 50 thing where you know the, the, the laws of probability, even if you've got 10 heads in a row, still the probability of another head is still 50 yeah. 50. Graham Smith says, Will there be a required number of bat rotations? Uh, Paul could film it in vision and see how many rotations uh, there is.
1: Paul Gregan says after flipping a bat, surely the logical next step is replacing stumps with an old orange box and wrapping yards of tape around a tennis ball instead of a duke. So I think that's a bit of a thumbs down from uh, Paul Gregan. Uh, John Broster says why though? Um, Ed Richards says it's a laugh, why not? I mean, I, yeah. you know, why? I, th- I think why? Because uh, lots of kids w- are watching it, lots of children are watching the coverage and I think that's what they do in the you know in the backyard or in their own games mm. uh, that that's the feeling and also just that point I made at the start that you can see you can actually see mm. who's
0: won the toss so less less ability to cheat but of course uh, there will be ways of cheating like we'll get one of those bats with, which is weighted or something. Somebody will sneak a little weight into it so that it, it particularly falls one way. And um, the the other thing. What are you is, trying
1: to say about our Australian friends, Simon? Huh?
0: The other thing is, of course, that it, it gives someone a bit of extra responsibility to remember to bring that special bat. <laughs> because it's not just a... You know how often a go out a co- the middle, He's got a coin. Yeah, He's got a coin. They haven't got a coin, have they? Yeah. So someone's going to actually have the responsibility. It's probably the match referee. But maybe if the match referee forgets, what they're going to do then, they'll have to go back to a coin. Well,
1: it's not the, not the worst thing in the world, is it? Yeah. I mean, some people say, that, well, the coin is very simple. And, of course, it is. Um, but innovation is the name of the game, I yeah, suppose. And also another thing in the big bash that's going to happen is...
0: Uh, uh, this cage at the side of the, well, in the stand somewhere where batsmen can practice right up to the moment they go out to the middle, which I think is a great idea. So it's a bit like a a hitting cage for baseball and they're bringing it in at the Gabba. I'm not sure what other grounds will use it, but I'm sure the others will follow suit. So it's sort of up in the stand close to the dressing rooms. The batsmen can go in and have a few throwdowns or some balls from a machine, bowling machine, and and whack a few to get ready for, for hitting the ball in the game literally close to the audience, close to the crowd, in the crowd, who are protected because it's Mm. a cage. So I think that's a great idea because it gives the the spectators a bit more proximity, getting close up to the power of the batsman and the sort of whole excitement of seeing a batsman smashing it into the net very close up. Plus also, I think it's it's good for the batsman as Mm. well because I've always thought that it's quite hard. You go in the nets at... Two thirty or whenever it is before a game, and you quite often don't get out there for two hours, or if it's a T twenty game, forty five minutes or something. By which time, you, you that little sort of that rhythm of of, of shots and stuff is, is is lost. You've got to play yourself in.
1: What about the poor old bowlers though? What do they get?
0: <laughs> a better a, a pay rise, uh, danger money, <laughs> maybe. I suppose. We, they, you can create something in the crowd, because we're getting crowd catches now. We're getting money given away by, say, Keir at the Kier Oval if you take a crowd catch cleanly in a mm. T20 game. Maybe bowlers could get a bonus from the sponsors if they instigate crowd catches. So bring their mates to stand or sit at deep mid-wicket where they think they're going to be hit most and get some quite good athletic fielders in there, in the crowd, and get some bonuses from crowd catching. Now, we've had some emails... This week. <laughs> you, that was a slightly derisory uh, <laughs> comment, ob- observation there. A m- a quick, swiftly moving on, I suppose you'd say. Um, yeah, so. We should remind people they can win tickets to the Lords
1: Test match, the Saturday, the Lords Test match next year, which of course is an Ashes Test match. We will do a draw in January. Mm-hmm. Anybody can email us, remind people of the email address. The email address
0: is theanalystpodcast at gmail.com. Theanalystpodcast at gmail.com. And Not only do we want questions, we want ideas as well, innovations, suggestions, comments on the podcast. Please can you review this podcast on iTunes as well, which uh, is really helping us directionally and qualitatively as well. So please review if you can, if you get get around to it on the iTunes app. And the emails we've had, uh, for instance, a, a nice one here from Jonathan Cross, who says the success of Jack Leach... Uh, after his experiences of playing in Taunton, nicknamed Siderabad, suggests perhaps that other English pitches could be tailored to different types of conditions for overseas experience, such as he suggests Old Trafford could be like Perth could be the place where you try and develop fast bowlers for for bowling in Australian conditions, for instance. Mm. I mean, the thing is, we don't know what the Perth pitch is going to be
1: like now because it's a new stadium. Is that mm, a that new stadium right. across the Swan River? going to find out, actually, later this week yeah. when Australia play against India in the second Test match there. So it's not like the old Wacker, But, yeah, I mean, you, you could, I suppose, try to tailor it to Australian conditions in a way. I mean, to do that, you'd have to have a, use the Australian ball, though. wouldn't you? you have to use the Kookaburra ball, really, on, on that surface. But, I mean, I, I like the idea that there are areas or grounds in the country where you know when you go play there, the ball is, say... Going to spin, or it's going to seam, or it's going to bounce. I mean, that that would be would be really useful. What you've got to do is get the counties to play ball, of course, because often, you know, teams tend. I mean, I think this is sort of where it started in a way, wasn't it? That Somerset wanted to produce conditions
0: that were favourable to the attack that they had. Sadly, uh, the uniformity of English conditions has slightly count countered against that idea because in the past we had lots of variety in English pitches. The oval you know, had a bit of pace mm. and bounce, and so did Old Trafford. And then some of the others were a bit slower and lower. Obviously, Headingley was very, very distinctive, in it's so the way it seemed around and sort of bounced off a of length. And So it did have more of the asynchronies of English pictures than we do now. There's, there's much more uniformity. Actually, the idea reminds me also, there's a golf course in Northwood in Middlesex uh, where there are different holes from great courses Superimposed onto the course. So there's a great hole, I think the 12th from Augusta is there, kind of, you know, sort, well, of a re- image sort of mirror sort images. Of, sort of replicated, yeah. and a great, a, a great hole from St Andrews and one from Sandwich or somewhere. So you've got about nine holes, but all from different courses of the world. So, yeah, nice idea. Um, whether it will, will happen, we, we, we don't know. I don't think there's been anything wrong in, in theory having, say, three. Centres
1: in the country where the ball spins more than others. Yeah, I I don't think there's anything particularly wrong. I've been been sort of brought round to this argument. I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with Taunton. If you
0: know that it's going to spin when you go to Taunton then that's your, that's your trial by spin during the county season. Yeah, I think it's great. You know, I, I, I mean, certainly in my county career, we, there was lots of... You, know, somewhere you played at Ilford on um, the sort of outgrounds, yeah. you know, and they turned almost yeah. from ball one. And actually, uh, four new outgrounds are being used for this year's championship ne- next summer. Uh, which is nice to see. So, in a way, sort of starting to spread the game out beyond the the main centres and the rather uniform pitches is a good idea. I also like this suggestion here from Simon Plummer, who says, this is on a different subject, but given that the ICC monitor umpiring decisions for quality purposes, would it be interesting to have an umpire ranking system like for players? Mm. So you'd you'd go to a test
1: match as a team and you know you've got... The number one ranked umpire yeah. and the number 18th ranked umpire at the other end. You mean I, I, it puts quite a bit of pressure on the umpires, that, but it also, I suppose, or, um, k- keeps them on their metal. I, I'm not, I mean, there is an sort of umpire of the year award, and I think they know they get a ranking, don't they? They know the mistakes they've made. They know their sort of percentage mistakes they've made during a test match or, or, or during a year because they're given that sort of feedback. So Simon, there is suggesting that each umpire. You know, that we know as well. The spectators know how good the umpires are,
0: and they had a tough game uh, in in. Adelaide, actually, Mm. because of all that spin and trying to adjudicate... There were quite a lot of bat pads where the ball seemed to come off the bat, and I thought, there's two noises. But the bat hit the pad, and then the momentum of the bat hitting the pad lobbed the ball to short leg, but it was actually straight off the pad. And there was one where uh, Aaron Finch, in the second innings, got a bat pad, and it was called a short leg, Mm. and he was given out. Well, glove glove pad. was not a pad glove, was it? Yeah. Well, he didn't know. He didn't know, and he said afterwards... Uh, yeah. He wasn't sure if it was the the ball hitting the glove or his pad hitting his, his glove yeah. uh, or the you know, pa- glove hitting the so pad. So he didn't want to burn off a review. So he didn't want to burn off a review. A very decent man, Aaron yeah. Finch, actually. I mean, I, I feel for him because he was... Uh, humble enough to say that even uh, though I'm the number one batsman in the Australian team, the opening batsman, he went to his partner, Marcus Harris, who's a debutant, who said, well, what do you think? And he went, well, I'm not sure. And he he, he, he accepted his fate, which was very noble of him, actually.
1: But also incorrect. It was wrong. It's wrong, because he didn't, he didn't hit it, did he? No. He didn't hit his glove. It did look as if the glove went against the pad or something like that, that second noise. And he was given out, so whether it had been overturned, I'm not sure, because we we, we don't know, because he didn't review it but it looked like not enough evidence to condemn yeah, him, but whether right. there would have been enough evidence to overturn it, because it was really hard to tell, wasn't it? I mean, it looked as if he didn't hit it, but you wouldn't, I mean, you, you wouldn't be absolutely categorical. Though Chris Gaffney, you know, he's, he's made one or two oh, quite bold decisions. I what, as third I, I, umpire. I
0: really like Chris Gaffney, uh, because uh, he, he's been on third umpire in this, this test match, and he does a lovely thing, actually. He does the sort of very systematic... Uh, right, going go to the TV director. i will have the no ball first, and then spin vision, and then go to hotspot and all that, and then we'll have ball tracking. And then when the umpire gets it right yeah. and the decision has been upheld, he says, "You got it right. You can put you can put your finger up now, Nigel. You, you're fi- your decision's confirmed. Well done, mate. Yeah, just a little. Well done. Just so so if they little... get it wrong, was he saying, "Well, that was a stinker. <laughs> <laughs> what a shocking decision that was." <laughs> He's he probably thinks that, but uh, I could do much, but I should be out there in the middle. Yeah, I, I, the, the third umpire is becoming almost a hybrid commentator now mm. because they they go to it all the time, don't they? And they listen to his whole process. And again, I think it adds an extra ingredient to the game. It, it's been a great year for Test cricket, actually, hasn't it? Fantastic, I mean, yeah,
1: yeah, really good. Do you do you think uh, it's harder? Zoom, I mean, it's harder umpiring when the ball is spinning and when yeah. the spinners are involved. We saw that in Sri Lanka. It was really quite tough at times. Yeah, yeah very hard. And that's, I think that's where the res- review system is fantastic. Yeah. Because, you know, most of the time, unless teams burn them off like Sri Lanka did, most of the time... Actually, times, India are
0: not very good at reviewing
1: well, either. Yeah, well, that's, that's up to them, isn't it, to get it right in terms of you know, not going too early. Although I can uh, just have a little caveat there. I can understand because I don't think teams think in terms of the, you know, the big mistake from the umpire or the blooper. I think they just want right or wrong. So if they think they it will go their way, then they'll go for it. it, it you know, it's not a massive error necessarily, but it might be a small error. They just want that wicket. They don't, th- they don't think in those terms. Mm. ICC brought it in because they wanted to get rid of the howler. I don't think players think in terms of the howler. They just think, I, is that out or is it not out? They think about the gravity
0: of the. Or, or indeed, the, necessarily the future. Either they don't think long term, do we need to keep a couple of years well, back?
1: I think that comes in a little bit, but um, that might come in a bit more. But I know what you mean. They tend to sort of. You
0: just in the they, moment, huh? They, they, they can't
1: help themselves, yeah. yeah. They've, got, they've got to go for it. I think that for that reason, because they just they, they see it as out or not out, not howler or not howler. And
0: you're de- definitely right about it being uh, invaluable for spin because you see these balls hit the batsman's pad and you think, well, that's turning down the leg side or it's too high or whatever. And the the technology actually reveals reveals the truth and it's it's really valuable actually.
1: So a grading system. For, for umpires, umpires that's available to everyone or not? Do you, think, do you think that puts too much pressure on the umpires? To think, you, know, you go out there, I'm number one, I'm the number
0: one umpire, or you know, I I'm, think, I'm only number listen, 11. Listen, I think it rewards umpires for, for being good. And, and We don't know if they're good now, do we? we? Each time an umpire comes in, we don't really know... Who are the good umpires? We know that there's an elite panel, mm. but we don't know who are the best and who are not so good. It makes the ones that are not so good perhaps work a bit harder, go home at night and study a few replays, you know, do a bit of homework. Hey, what's Eddie got for us? Well, Eddie, Eddie Edmund says, should umpires be calling no ball after the batsman has played the shot? So we've had lots of emails about the process of adjudicating no balls and whether... you know, Of course, umpires don't call them now when they think it's tight until they can go to the replay afterwards when a wicket has happened or a dismissal has happened. I thought uh, th- th- this test match, actually, Kumar Dharmasena took uh, a bold call by calling Ishan Sharma for a very, very marginal no ball, and he was right. But the danger, of course, is, as we've said before, you call a no ball and then it's not a no ball on the technology... Uh, Things have happened which you then can't undo. Yeah. So, do you call a no ball uh, in Edward Edmonds' case uh, after everything's happened, basically almost after the ball's dead? So after the wicket or after the boundary or after the dot ball, do you call it sort of a much later? Yeah, because a
1: batsman can't doesn't really change his shot. Can't really change his shot. Just doesn't have time. He might do in club cricket when it's all lob bowling or something. You can change your shot, but not 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 first class level in test level. You can't change your shot. You don't have time. And the complaint has been that the batting side has lost lots of runs because the no-balls have not been called. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. You know, if the ball hits the boundary and the umpire discovers it's a, also a no-ball, just add on, you know, call a no-ball, add on one. Well, li- actually, I like that we
0: are, idea. I, mean, I need to think about it a bit more. Yeah. But I, it, if we had I, Bob Willis playing, I mean, we'd, we'd be there till about midnight. <laughs> They're waiting for every no-ball to be adjudicated. And there are some bowlers who are just so tight on the line yeah. all the time. That's that, the only
1: problem, isn't it? Is it could could take a long time to sort out each ball, but if, if it's really obviously a no ball, then yeah, call the no ball one to the total, bowl it again.
0: Yeah, right. Listen, I, I, that, that, that's 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 it for this week on the emails. Thank you very much for uh, sending them. We'll keep looking at them and reviewing them and and reading them out. So keep them coming. The Analyst Podcast at Gmail dot com. One little thing we should just mention: uh, England's touring parties for the West Indies has been announced no change in the test team yeah. so no call up for Jason Roy I suppose is the headline there yeah. even though he was rumoured to be Favoured by Bayless, etc. So, Joe Denley's kept his place in the test side, yeah, you, I mean test you, squad rather.
1: What, what do you think about that? I mean, I just wonder whether Roy for Denley might have been a better option. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I suppose. Well,
0: he's, 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 apart from anything else, age wise, yeah. you know, you're, you're looking to the future, really, rather than Denley, who's three or four years older. But he does have the spin element to him, and it seems a bit harsh to sort of cast him out on two ordinary innings in a warm-up game mm. in Sri Lanka and yeah. having no opportunity since. Yeah, uh, the other thing is, I can think about Roy as well is that he'll be playing cricket
1: in, in Australia in the big bash, whereas if he was with mm-hmm. England, he probably wouldn't play in the Test match series, so he'll be sort of twiddling his thumbs for right. many weeks. Yeah. Uh, that, that's the other side of it as well. And they, you know, Then he is going to be part of the, the one-day squad. The one-day squad no ollie stone so i mean he made that that great impact where he took that wicket early on in Sri Lanka and then did almost or did very little after that and we all thought we were well most people got quite excited i have to say at the time i did say you know just be cautious with this just you know wait and see because this is only one wicket from a short ball um and he, always,
0: and you're always the voice. Of mm, caution Well, or
1: the voice of reason. It, yeah. could, it could also be seen as the voice of reason. Mm. Uh, but you know, don't don't expect too much too soon. Don't get carried. Have you ever taken a big risk in your life? <laughs> I'm not going to get onto that at this stage of the podcast, sir but. Um,
0: Oh, how disappointing. <laughs> well, we'll I'll, 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 listen, l- listeners, I'll mine him for information on that and I'll reveal that next week.
1: Uh, so no Ollie Stone. And I wonder whether um, David Willey comes back. I wonder whether that, you know, no Ollie Stone means that down the line there's still that... Option for Jofra Archer, mm. that we heard last week on the podcast, coach the Rajasthan Royals saying Zubin, in, yeah, Zubin. absolutely mad not to pick him for the World Cup because he'd be their best bowler. Not a mm. good bowler, he'd be England's best bowler mm. in the World Cup. So, you know, the door is still open. And of course, we'll
0: be doing the big bash for BT, yeah. uh, as we will the Test match as well. Uh, so we'll see if uh, Archer, how Archer goes, actually, how he lives up to this sort of elevation of his reputation and expectation. be yeah, interesting well, to see. Yeah, definitely more expectation now yeah. you know,
1: because an international career yeah. is looming for him. There's no doubt about that. One way or the other, sooner rather than later. I mean, actually, we're talking about Archer playing in the World Cup. That's also the possibility of Archer playing in the Ashes, which no one's actually even talked about, have they? No one's talked about the possibility of him being in Fair the Ashes. good point.
0: Very, very good point. Well, lots, uh, lots of opportunity and potential for, for Joffrey Archer. It'd be fascinating to see what happens there. Just one other thing to say, the new Cricketer magazine is out this week and it's the Christmas issue and we've got a great Newman cartoon. So if you don't particularly want to read the magazine, just buy it for that. It's a brilliant Christmas cartoon with lots of little tiny jokes which are very relevant to the year of cricket. But I need to go to bed, so for the moment... I'm going to bid you goodbye, and thanks for listening. Goodbye for now. Speak to you next week.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?